0: When we grow up, we want to have a startup studio. We just launched that this year. And so it's pretty fun, but we'll see if that's a good use of our profits to start other companies or if I should have gone and bought a boat or something. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? All right, today I'm doing a little bit of a podcast crossover. I was actually an, a guest on one of my favorite podcasts, Tropical MBA, and I thought it'd be interesting to reshare it on my podcast if I was starting today. I speak with Dan Andrews and he is very good. He got a lot of information out of me. I wasn't sure I would share, but uh, I, I talk about Growth Hit and how that's going because I spoke with him during a crazy time during the pandemic when we lost half our business and and started to turn it around. So we talk about that, the highs and lows of growing an agency. And then we get into the startup studio that we're launching. And this is the first time I talk about two of those brands that we've launched and how that's going, that the highs and lows of that. And then we get into this idea of entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship, how to get a people and how we've done that at our agency. And how it's okay to create founders with, within your team. So it's a pretty fun one. It's wide ranging. He's he's really good. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode. But again, it's on Tropical MBA, just tropicalmba.com. It's a really good podcast. I strongly and highly recommend you go check it out.
1: Today, we're reconnecting with someone who we last spoke with in May 2020. At a very strange time when many of us were trapped in our homes, in my case, your RV, Ian, thank you. Shout out to boss Man for the free rent. Now, at the time, this guest was just recovering from COVID. He was an early adopter, so to speak, and his agency had also taken a huge knock, losing half of its revenue overnight. So we were delighted when he shot us an email saying that he not only had the business recovered and hit all-time revenue, but he was trying out new things. And his reasons for doing so may not be so unfamiliar to agency owners listening to the pod, but they include an in-house startup studio incubator. And interestingly, one of his motivations for doing this is to provide an incentive to his staff in this incredibly competitive hiring market. Many agency owners will know, Ian, and we know this from running DJ, that it's typically a little harder to hire for agencies than it is for product companies or software companies. He's also started a podcast called, If I Was Starting Today, and is developing a direct to consumer product. So this is a very typical path. You build that seven-figure agency, and then you're looking for ways to diversify into product. So lots of TMBA themes to touch on in this one. Hopefully you can find something in here that resonates with your journey. So let's get moving.
0: I'm Jim Huffman. I have a growth marketing agency called Growth Hit, but we're also, when we grow up, we want to have a startup studio. We just launched that this year. And so it's pretty fun, but we'll see if that's a good use of our profits to start other companies or if I should have gone and bought a boat or something.
1: So the idea of a startup studio is essentially one of the classic stair steps of the agency business model, which is you use your growth services to incubate your own companies. Is that right?
0: You, you nailed it. Um, the stair-step model, Nathan Berry has the ladders of wealth creation because the agency model is great for learning and you can make cash. But as far as making an asset you can sell, it's not the best use of time. And so the goal is to graduate from selling our time for money to make a product that we could sell, which could be an e-product, a physical product or the holy grail, right? Which would be software as a service SaaS. And and that's kind of the goal is trying to take our profits and to go up to that next rung to see
1: if we can create other businesses. Do you see it as in any way a test of your agency's prowess to be able to do this? If you guys are good marketers, isn't that the power position? Shouldn't you be able to find a good product and go market it excellently?
0: Honestly, hundred percent, we're like, okay, if we're so good, why are we growing other people's products or companies when we should be growing our own? And so that's what we're really trying to put to the test because we have some clients we are like, man, I wish they'd kind of get out of our way. I wish I could just run with this. And so we'll see. We haven't proven we know what we're doing with operations or manufacturing or building technology. So that's what we're, we're really trying to put to the test is to grow our own stuff.
1: Now, why this growth studio, you have a challenge where you want to, you're starting a DTC startup. When we talk about that, we'll talk about your SaaS ideas. But last time I talked to you, you were coming off strong off of COVID. I was a pioneer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But you guys have done great through the pandemic. You've achieved $2 million in revenue last year. What is the argument for just saying, why don't you get it to three or four this year?
0: Yeah. I think if you're just a business on a spreadsheet, that would be the smart move. And for context, like pre-COVID, we thought it was going well. COVID hit our agency lost half its business in 48 hours and then yeah we got lucky we had some tailwinds cuz as we focus on e-commerce companies and online businesses you know everyone went online so we got to ride that wave and it's great we got to grow and like pay people well but if we take a step back and go to our our holy father Tim Ferris and lifestyle design i find myself in this lifestyle where, man, I'm on a lot of Zooms and I'm putting out a lot of fires. And we didn't necessarily start this agency to build some hundred person firm where I'm managing people like we're builders, we're creators. And so we're like, is all growth. Good. It's like, actually, if we can be, the, be this boutique shop that stops at this phase or at this level and we have really good quality people, we can start to put resources into these other things. So that was something that to be honest, even from the very beginning, my business partner and I, we we kind of decided on that. We didn't want to
1: make something huge. We wanted to build other things. I want to share something with you. I don't think I've ever said on the podcast before, but it's become abundantly clear to me running dynamite jobs over the last 12 months. And there might be something that plays into this whole strategy here. If a candidate, an average candidate sees two jobs on a job board and one of them is for a DTC company or a SaaS company or an e-commerce company, and the other job is for an agency, they are much less likely to apply to the agency. I'm wondering if you can tell us from your experience why that might be the case. Could you speculate why these candidates don't want to apply for agencies and what that looks like from the inside?
0: Well, first, agencies have a bad rap. It's easy to hate agencies. I hate agencies, and I have an agency. There's this, this stereotype. And it's so funny, because I was talking to my wife about it, because we had this one client. We're just killing it. We're doing such a good job, amazing landing pages, ads. We've improved their performance. We did make a mistake that like got caught with QA, and it's like end of the world. And I was like, man, they hate us because we're an agency. But if that was Tom who made that mistake, their employee they hired and and trained... Tom would be cool. They'd be at the happy hour, Patton is back. But for us, it's like our butts on the line. And so there's a stigma with agencies. Also, the, the lifestyle of an agency is you're essentially it's the service business. In addition to doing the work, you have to serve clients and be very hospitable. And you have to put out fires and be over-accommodating. And, and that isn't sustainable. That can be exhausting. So I, I definitely get that. I I don't know if people also are excited about these other ones because maybe there's more upside. If there's equity involved in stock options, that's something that can be hard to compete with whenever I'm trying to get talent. That's actually why we launched the startup studio. One, because we want to do it, but two, to get the best talent that are entrepreneurs they're doing the agency with us knowing that they want to jump onto something that we're building. One aside, I've used dynamite jobs twice already for hires. You guys do an awesome job. And the reason is, Everyone that we've gotten there is this kind of like remote worker entrepreneur that wants to do something different. And when we we have a different mindset because we don't work Mondays, don't work Fridays with clients. We have these side hustles (laughs) and you guys get the right. person. You're almost like a culture filter for growth hit.
1: If you need help getting control of your email inbox, this is for you. That's right, this episode is brought to you by the team at mailmanhq.com. It's a Gmail plugin that lets you decide when and what emails land in your inbox. Many of our listeners spend a huge portion of their days inside of their inbox, and if you're one of them, Pay close attention to the next 30 seconds. See, Mailman allows you to set up your own emailing schedule on both your personal and work Gmail accounts, such that all incoming emails are collected and delivered to your inbox as per the schedule you set up that's in batches so nothing drops in between. Now, what about those urgent emails? Don't worry. Mailman lets you configure your VIPs so their emails will land in your inbox immediately so you can respond and make progress in your business. And there's so much more too. So get a defender and an ally in your inbox. Get Mailman. Sign up for a free account over at mailmanhq.com slash tropicalmba. If you use that link and decide to upgrade to a paid plan, you'll get 30% off your first year via this link. So here it is again, mailmanhq.com slash Tropical MBA. Thanks to the team at Mailman HQ for sponsoring the show. Go give them a try. Give them a look. Get ahead on your inbox. Again, that's mailmanhqcom MBA. What do you make of entrepreneurship? Uh, How do you define it? And is this just the next way to like create some kind of phantom motivation for people? What is it uh, from your perspective? I say phantom because phantom equity or whatever.
0: It's potentially a path to like allow really good team players and employees to make their own decisions and par- carve their own path with the company, maybe without taking on some of that initial risk. Obviously, the reward could not be as big from that, but it's a path just because you see this movement of employees to freelancers to contractors, but maybe they don't want to go all in on starting their own thing. So how can you create this hybrid that meets those people where they're at. We're like, hey, I want to work remote. I want to like do my own thing, but I'm down to have this structure. So it's like, okay, that's what you care about. Let me design a path for that. It's like, we need the agency work to get done. We need this. But by the way, we have these ideas. We have a budget to allocate to that. If you have a good idea and you want to be a part of it, you can push that. And if that becomes something then you have a significant stake in it. However, we still have some bumpers or guardrails for you where you have a whole growth team at your
1: back. You're getting paid. Yeah, you're getting paid <laughs> cash money, right? I yeah. mean, we've, we've all spent years not getting paid in this game. And so it's very real to get that paycheck.
0: So I was a guy, worked at startups, and I worked for this thing called equity stock options. And you're taking a low salary. And I did that for a while. And then when I started the agency, I was like, forget the equity. Like, I've got a a wife, I'm having a baby. It's time to like put some money in the bank. And so having to make that sacrifice, it's like, is it worth it? Is it, is it not? Cause one like benefit of like starting an agency, we're not going to be Stripe. We're not gonna be a billion dollars, but you can pay people well out of the gate. And so our overall like growth of what we're doing could be much slower, but maybe we're not having to take those sacrifices we're not having to take those big risks because we're, we're going at a slower pace, which, by the way, that's not a very fun book to read. If you're like going yeah. back and look at the biography, like, oh, the slow growth path of, of Jim Huffman, you know, sign me up for that. <laughs> you know, you want the the story of like, you know, I ate ramen for five years, I slept on a couch and now I'm the CEO of Alibaba. That's what people want to see. You actually have to earn a spot to be in the startup studio. If you prove yourself with clients, then you could be thrown work there and eventually like work to get a piece of that pie. Because we want it to be something that people are really fired up to be a part of because we we have a slack channel that has a million half-baked bad ideas that we send through <laughs> all the time. We're like, "Okay, we should probably create a rubric for how we even decide if this is worth our time because our time is everybody's time is super limited." So we send through these ideas. Again, we've only validated two, so we're very early at this. And one quick aside, like we're doing a startup studio probably from a dumb path and that we have no big funds of money. You look at startup studios like Pioneer Square Labs in Seattle or Atomic VC in Miami, they have huge budgets. We're trying to do this ourselves, so it changes the types of opportunities we can focus on because they kind of need, need to be making money out of the gate or not involve a lot of capital investment. So as we're looking at ideas coming in, we're scoring based on that, like capital required. We're looking at, is this actually a problem or just a cool idea? Because we have to go after problems, meaning it's a pain point that someone will, will pay money to solve. The other one is, do we as an agency, a growth agency, have an unfair advantage? We want tailwinds as far as, is this something in 10 years is going to get bigger and bigger? We want to have a potential moat, meaning, do we have a brand as a mode? Is it stickiness? Is it local monopoly? Like what is that moat that you could have? And then finally, this is one my partner put on, which was really smart, but it's like, is this something you want to commit your next 10 years to? Cause these ideas take a long time and I get excited about something for two days. And then in two weeks, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I don't want to do a, a D 2 C septic tank company. That's a horrible idea, which by the way was one of the ideas that we had. So that's kind of like how we we score the ideas.
1: And I do think this idea of entrepreneurship, I think it's not gimmicky at all. I think actually fleshing it out and helping candidates understand what it is has potential like a lot of value for founders that are looking to hire. One of the ways I've tried to formulate it is I think an entrepreneur is someone who cares more about the project and the company than their own job in it. I, and I, and I, we were just talking about this earlier with the founder. He, he was describing why he was so happy, just fine to walk away from Facebook. And he was basically like, well, because I what I wanted was to do things that make a difference at my desk. You talked about jobs and employers at DJ being different. I think that that's a big part of it. In fact, I took a note during this conversation, like that's meaningful. It's meaningful that you're actually like seeing the bricks move and pile up. Like that's something that people really value in their careers.
0: I don't know about you. I'd be interested to see how you do it for dynamite jobs, but like with growth it, we have to do it with our startup studio. We have to do that as a competitive advantage to get good talent. Because if I'm going to get the creative director that I have, who she could go work anywhere, I have to create a unique path where it's like, you want to be an entrepreneur, a business owner, done. Let's make that path for you together. And be a part of that. Because if not, she could go work at big tech company, get amazing stock options and go down that path. So we do it because we have to. And it happens to align with
1: what we care about and want to do. The reason I think that's so cool and interesting is we just did a podcast a few weeks ago where Ian and I were basically like, this post-pandemic reality of hiring for remote companies, it's been very bad for us. It's been bad for you. It's been bad for me. Our staffing costs have gone way up, and the reality I think that we finally faced was some shoe has to drop. Like you have to pay a lot more. You have to create a much more compelling. You have to do something. You have to start hiring people in different countries. Choose your poison. And it sounds like what you've picked is to create a more compelling employee experience.
0: Yeah. Nathan Barry had this tweet storm around, are you remote first or remote forced? Because companies like us, we we were remote first, right? And then all of a sudden pandemic happens and everybody's a remote company, but it's forced, but it kills us because like, oh man, it's like, that was our competitive advantage and it's going away. Now it's like leaning into that even more like remote first, work on your own, entrepreneur, like throw t-shirts at people. What more can we do to get talent? It's, it's tough. But like the thing that you all have, I mean, you all already have a brand and a culture that people know about. They feel like they, they know you from the podcast. So that has to be a, a nice advantage when wanting to get talent.
1: So Jim has offered some interesting thoughts about a strategy for attracting and retaining great team members in this extremely competitive market, in part by offering them an opportunity to develop creative projects within an internal startup studio. But as he says, it's pretty early days there. So I'm interested to know how Jim plans to evolve growth hits, bread and butter business, which is marketing agency work. The promise of growth hit was always that y'all were a little bit more productized. As you've grown in revenue, have you found that you've been doing more bespoke work for your clients or how have things changed with that next million? Last time we talked to you, we were at that first million. Now we're talking multiple seven figures. Oh man, you're you're hitting on a touchy subject right now. Um, Let me preface something that I remember strong and sticky from our last conversation was you're saying... I'm a San Francisco marketer. I'm a boss. I worked at a bunch of San Francisco startups. I give that to my staff or we have this world-class uh, productized marketing funnels for your company. But if you hire somebody like me, I'm going to charge you $175. Now, who knows, Jim, you court a lot of money. Come work with Growth Hit. We'll only charge you $7,000, 9000 a month. And it's comfy. It's a lot less than you'd spend on a full-time marketer. And now you got a team working for you.
0: That was a really good sales
1: pitch. Would you come take our position there? Um, If you replace everything I said about marketing and you put it in hiring and recruiting, that's essentially what we do at DJ. So we are growth hit version. And so I'm genuinely curious because, you know, we did half a million dollars in sales, our first year of offering services. And now I'm thinking about what's that next half a million going to look like.
0: Yeah, I think there's two paths and we're kind of at the fork in the road on the ways to do that. And I, I can talk about how we're approaching that. One is bigger clients, bigger retainers. It's that simple. Like we've been fortunate to get some that are like over 20 grand per month. One potential issue that comes with that is they can they could be more demanding and you get outside of what you're great at and might have to do more custom work, which makes an agency hard to scale. But if they're paying a big retainer, then it's worth it. So we've been putting big prices on those. The other option for growth is exactly what you're saying. Productize as much as you can. And sell that. That way you can scale it and train people to help you do that. And then we'd still have 10 to 20% that is custom. That is, you go into the calls and offering the strategic guidance, but your execution is what is tried and true and standardized. So, what really helped us go, honestly, from like 600,000 to like 1.4.5 was the productize route. We got lucky in that we got some really big clients that helped us go to that next level. But it's made it a little crazy on the inside as we're figuring out like building systems and hiring. And we've kind of honed in on, we're only going to take on those big whales if it makes sense. If not, we like going the more tried and true route because it's a better lifestyle and we know we can you know deliver on the results that we're promising.
1: You said it's a potentially sticky topic. Why is that?
0: Well, just because we struggle with that. It, it's hard when you see these like big opportunities come in, we're like, crap, this is going to be custom. This might burn out my team, but wow, it'd be great to have their logo on our website and it could be a cool project. Whereas my CEO, who's much smarter than me is always like, only do it if it falls into this category. We got to play the long game. We got to play to scale, but I get shiny object syndrome. I'm the one on the sales call. So it's um, it's a little of give and take. Because you know, you can do it. Yeah, but I know it's, I'm selling myself though. It's like, crap, I've got to be involved in this, but it'll be great for the business. But then it takes away from the startup studio, right? It's the the dilemma we have as we're trying to do multiple things. Tell me about the DDC brand.
1: Are you willing to talk about what the product is yet or?
0: Sure. If anybody wants to go buy it, 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 it kind of exists. <laughs> we can talk about that. I saw
1: negative $6,000 on your Twitter account. Yeah, so.
0: that's, that's going to work really well. Yeah, so we, we work in public. We share all this stuff. So- It stemmed from a problem that I had, which um, I have, I guess you could say longer hair not satisfied with the products that I use. I've been stealing my wife's dry shampoo and I don't like it because you pour powder on your hair and it's like you have powdered sugar on your hair, it gets on your your vest or whatever you're wearing. And so I was like, there's gotta be something better. So I was like, this should be in pomade form so a dumb guy like myself can use it. So we don't work with a manufacturer to make it. But meanwhile, let's try and validate this. So we're, we're very lucky in that we have a really talented creative director on our team who built a brand. So we built a brand called Handsome Chaos. We stood up a Shopify website, We built a wait list. We were able to get a thousand people on the wait list. We started driving traffic to it with a product that does not exist. And we sold 10 of them. And then I immediately told the people, I'm so sorry, this product does not exist, but I'd love to give you one once it's live. And so we're seeing some signals. I'm not going to say we have anything that's meaningful, but we're seeing signals that this idea of like a dry shampoo pomade for men could work. But now we've got to deliver on manufacturing. We're in like the 11th iteration. We've been working on it for Seven months. It's taking twice as long as I thought. But why? um, Because I'm very new to manufacturing, and so I have no clue what I'm
1: doing. You say like you you want to experiment with a, a SaaS company next, and isn't it even harder to build a SaaS company than a consumer good?
0: And it requires capital, and it requires a technical partner. So. We've looked at that two different ways. One, could we acquire a SaaS that is on the cusp of product market fit is one option. The second is, and this is the path we're going, we're launching a productized service to deliver on the value of the SaaS to validate it, and then hopefully fund making the SaaS because we don't have enough time to go to coding school and and figure out that we'd be here for way too long if it was dependent on me to do that. So that's the path that we're thinking. And for us, we're trying to solve our own problem where we, um, I don't know if you saw this, but Canva is doing something like over a billion dollars in revenue. Like it's insane how big that company is. So if you're a business owner or a marketer and you want to make an email newsletter or a, a social media post, they have a really robust library of creative assets and templates for you to make visual images or videos to use for marketing purposes or whatever that would be. And it's very broad. So we're like, okay, how do you essentially decouple that? How do you find a niche of it that could be a big opportunity? And for us as a growth agency that does CRO work, how do we do conversion-based design? Because we we get inherited so many websites and ads and emails that look beautiful, but do not convert. So we're like, what if we had this offering that was product size services for designs that convert, whether it's for landing page design for e for a SaaS pricing page, for email newsletter, or for social ads? Because we do quite a bit there. As an agency, we are very good at process and system. So it's kind of like, okay, there's an unfair advantage we have. We have this knowledge of assets that convert. We're good at process and systems. We're weak at tech.
1: So let's lean in there. I just wanna give a big thanks to all of you who listened to ads like this and went on over to dynamitejobs.com to see what we've got going on over there. Because of that, we've helped place hundreds of qualified remote professionals in your companies last year. And for this holiday season, many of you are gearing up your operation for continued growth in 2022. And to help you do it, we've got three exciting options for you to explore. The first is our entirely new hiring platform, the job post dashboard that allows you to repost and promote anytime we've got a growing list of features there including intelligent promotion options to help you get the maximum amount of applications we've also got our done for you service if you're sick of sorting assessing and interviewing you can hire our senior recruiting staff to do the heavy lifting on your behalf they are experienced at identifying trajectory alignment salary fit and much more and the best part is it's a flat fee If you're hiring multiple times in 2022 we're offering bundles with steep discounts head on over to dynamitejobs.com and book a call to hear about that and finally we offer contract recruiting that's right a zero risk hiring option if you don't really know about the long-term fit or if you're looking for a partner to help take care of the legalities of hiring contractors we can do that for a monthly fee for the contractors that you bring on board so let's grow together. If you're looking to grow your remote business, book a call with our team and find out today how Dynamite Jobs can help. You can find out about this and much more over at slash remote recruiting. Having like a spreadsheet to like, or different categories to evaluate business ideas is very interesting to me. I've heard a few people venture what their categories are and they rate them and they test and things. Two interesting ones that pop up is like, how fast to fail. I think that that's like an interesting one. And then another one that really jumps out to me in your case would be, say you started a DTC brand that was like very adjacent, but somehow not threatening to your best client. Now, all of a sudden you've got all these products around that, that your agency could do 40, you could imagine an agency doing eight figures if you had that. Cause we all know brands that do that, where it's like, look what I did with this. The other thing is like, which is this last idea has a lot of these involved where you're backfilling in your best services with product and efficiency. I feel like that has a ton of value that if if I was a business coach, I might be like, man, you're delivering $2 million of value right now. And imagine if we backfilled those revenue streams with products that made the value deliver faster. It sounds like your second idea is right in line with that.
0: No, you're exactly right. And we get so many leads of founders at different phases of their growth journey, and we're just monetizing it. one. It's like, we think we could add value earlier at these other phases. So that's another thought with the productized service, even to like, honestly promote that we're doing stuff around an e-product that's like a, there's so many growth courses for marketers. We're doing one for founders that aren't raising money because people are like, I want to grow, but I don't have a budget. What do I do? So we're leaning into that as well. But one call out that you said that I think is really smart is this idea of time. The worst thing you can do, and I, I know because I've done this, is you have an idea and you let it take this long, slow death. Of like, oh, I'm kind of working on, I'm kind of doing this. And then three years later, your friend checks in and it's still that same update. One thing that we're talking about is how do we get really decisive with this, really get focused in these sprints, so within three months to nine months, we can say our baby's ugly or pretty, and we decide if we move on or not. And that's something that we're trying to be really intentional with, is just being decisive and not making decision
1: by indecision. So one final question, Jim, for you. Let's frame the question up that is existential question of your podcast, which is, if you were going to start an agency, a fresh conception, if you're a listener to this show, you have a skill set. What would you advise to them? How should they approach an agency based on the success that you've seen? What can they learn from you?
0: Well, if you were starting today, I would not go after a category that already has incumbents or people that have been in it for 10 years or plus. So a Facebook ad agency or an SEO agency. It's gonna to be too competitive, especially if you're trying to be premium. I would first position yourself a bit something that's emerging where you can be positioned as a thought leader, so you can shortcut the competition. So let's say TikTok just launches, your TikTok ad agency. Say you're, um, we're an Airtable agency that just does this for like big SaaS companies. So I would bolt onto something that's new and emerging as one idea. The other path you could go is go so niche because it's your specialty where it's not a big audience, but you're the best in it. Like We only do pricing pages for SaaS companies, and that's it. So here's a trap most people fall into is you're going to try and do everything everybody because you're not going to say no to a retainer or budget. Fight that urge and just try and specialize and niche down. And as quickly as possible, I would think through hiring a project manager, get your systems in place because then you'll be able to scale and then figure out how you drive the traffic. One of the best things that we did way too late was focusing on operations and a project manager and, and that's how um, we went from six figures to seven figures.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the it's so underrated how difficult it is to sell into yourself. So, even if it's unconscious, if you know that you're going to be doing some of that delivery, you're not going to sell as well. Oh, totally.
0: Actually, I have a question for you. I don't know about you, but I heard this quote where the strength of the CEO is the weakness of the company. And it has really held true for us where I'm like the marketer and like I sell the stuff and I'm good at that for growth, but our company's really not good at it. And it's held us back with growth. And it's something that I'm trying to have good self-awareness around where, hey, what am I good at and how is that impacting the company in a negative way? And
1: how many team members do you have right now? Uh, we have 17. Yeah. So uh, Vern Harnish in the Rockefeller Habits writes that this is the major problem for firms between 11 and 50 employees. I believe it's like 10 and 50, some kind of oddly specific number. That And, and that was his quote. I got that from him many years ago and I've seen the pattern time and time again. It makes sense. You could imagine like the shadow that you cast as a force, especially in an agency where it's based around some powerful skill set or set of relationships that you have, that that wouldn't be the first thing that you backfill when you go to do hiring. Yeah, it makes total sense. Well, I'm glad we got to have this talk. It's quite wide ranging and it's pretty cool how you're morphing this agency into it. a startup studio. And I'm looking forward to seeing what comes of it. So I hope you'll come back and visit us soon, Jim.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Once we get 10 companies, we'll come back and report on it. <laughs>
1: Big shout out to Jim Huffman. As Jim mentioned, he posts a lot about what he's up to, the highs and low, building in public, so to speak, on his Twitter handle at Jim W. Huffman. And do check out his own new pod, If I Was Starting Today. Boss man, I got to ask you, if you were starting today, what would you do? Crypto? (laughs) JPEGs?
2: <laughs> I don't know. Not not right now. I mean, yeah, maybe DeFi. Uh, it's a good question. One of the things I think about, Dan, is uh, not necessarily what I would do, but when I would do it. Like uh, maybe starting a little bit earlier, actually. Mm. You know, think about like my time in school. Um, I think about like some of the jobs that I had. And like I think about how I could have been earning and like building an asset earlier, like, you know, 18, 19 years old. Um, I think that kids these days, they have access to so much information. It's like uh, growing up, like you had access to like your family's friends and like if none of them were entrepreneurs, like you had no frame of reference, which I think was the case with uh, you and I. So now you can see all these people doing these amazing things on the internet. So if I was starting today, I think
1: my answer would just simply be, I would start earlier. One of the things that's occurred to me is, I agree with that, definitely like there's an opportunity to own things that are hyper small, right? Even if it's like an NFT, Or like a crypto token or a website. Like these are things that you can own uh, and, and like just like feel that sense of investment and asset. One of the things I thought of is a little bit in the opposite direction, Ian, is if I were starting again today, I think I might hang on to my job for a little bit longer, in part because I think I could have a much better job. Like the cost of switching jobs and careers was so enormously high when we started our first business that we were kind of locked into what we had we were even to move to a new city would wipe would devastate me financially at the time but now you can go to a site like dj and you can target in on types of founders types of incorporations types of product types of industry and really find a vehicle for you to grow your skill set and your network directly in the direction you want to go in your career. So the costs have gone way down. We talk about geographic advantage for founders all the time. But now as a candidate, you don't have to move anywhere except intellectually. You can sit in front of your laptop and join a new crew. When companies get bigger, you join a company. But when the companies are small and doing interesting stuff, you're joining like a rock band. You're joining a team. And that's something special and exciting. So I might have spent a little bit more time in that team environment, Ian, really building a kick-ass skill set so that I can have a faster exit velocity when I do start my first business.
2: It's true. And it's interesting, like the decoupling of location, income, and uh, your job. You know, it's like location and the job and the income, they were so intertwined. And like in the last like five years, they've just completely uh, blown apart. So now you have this opportunity to basically live where you want to live and work on the things that you want to work on. Which is kind of mind blowing if you would have told 18 year old me and you that that was an option.
1: Yeah. I mean, imagine this, for example like my last job, I was making a lot of money learning about a skill set that I wasn't super passionate about or that I knew like wasn't the long term thing. So, why not move to Lisbon or Mexico City? and start beating down the doors of founders doing really interesting things in like digital publishing or in community space or all these sorts of remote topics we're super passionate about and say, hey, I work in Mexico City. I'll work for you for a month for free. Here's what I can do to improve your business. And if there's any scraps on the table at the end, maybe you can give me a contractor role or whatever. Not think within four to eight weeks you could prove yourself as valuable to a company that you're passionate about. I think it's an amazing opportunity. That's something I'd like to think I would have taken advantage of.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by no one. Yep, we have zero sponsors. I haven't reached out to any companies, nor would I expect a reputable brand to give me money. But I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out GrowthHit. GrowthHit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, GrowthHit has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out GrowthHit.com.